0: Welcome to the Everyday PM podcast, the podcast where we discuss project management principles for your everyday life. My name is Ann Campia and I'm a certified project slash program manager with a lot of time in various areas working in this role, including healthcare, retail, consumer goods, tech, marketing. I've been kind of all around the spectrum as a project manager and I'm so excited to bring the Everyday PM podcast to you today. I am also excited to welcome our very special guest Tommy Yanolis, who you've kind of done everything yourself when I look at your background. So I'm going to first do an intro for you Tommy but then okay. I'll allow you a few uh, a brief moment to also introduce yourself to our audience. So Tommy, sure. you've been in the restaurant industry for nearly your entire adult life. So number one, already very interested to learn more about that. Uh, you have a BSBA from University of Denver's Hotel Restaurant School, in addition to an MBA. And you are also a former stand-up comic turned yeah. SAS founder. So, I mean, there's just... A lot to unpack in your uh, personal and professional journey as we get to know you, and our audience gets to know you from the everyday PM. Um, you are currently the managing director of Ops Analytica, yeah. and an opera- which is an operations analytics platform that focuses on managing and measuring daily team activities for large multi unit businesses. Yeah. So, Tommy, welcome to the podcast. Please take a brief moment to introduce yourself to our audience.
1: But that's pretty much it i'm just like a normal uh founder with a hotel restaurant and uh, uh stand-up comedy background yeah um uh, no i'm just like one of those weird people who keeps doing stuff and like i just keep bouncing around and i i never really expected to be a tech founder to be honest with you uh though what's interesting is this is that my grandparents were both immigrants to this country and that both uh and different times of their lives they both owned and operated restaurants they were puerto rican and greek which are two big restaurant cultures mm-hmm. right and uh and then my parents saw how hard it was to run restaurants so they went full board tech my dad was a rocket scientist and worked at the johns hopkins applied physics lab and my mom was a coder by one of the original female coders because she's in her 80s now so she was coding in the 60s uh, 50s and 60s uh, and she worked at like uh applied physics lab, Goddard, space flight, IBM, Lockheed, all these guys. So I had this like tech parents. And then I wanted to go into restaurants because it was just in my blood. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up in tech, but I do, I credit them, even though like we weren't doing tech stuff all the time at home, they made tech seem accessible. Mm-hmm. So it was not like this weird thing that like I had to deal with, yeah. or think, you know, Oh, I, I can't do this. Like, I saw them doing tech successfully, so it didn't seem like it was impossible for me to do it either. I guess. Sure. Probably be the best way to put it.
0: I mean, you make it so. To your point, you made they made it accessible to you, so it didn't seem so daunting to kind of dive into. I I love how eclectic your background is, and like what you just said is, there were things that you were interested in, and you just. Wanted to do it. I mean, I love those types of personalities. Why not give it a try? So walk me through kind of like the progression of moving from restaurant to like what was the order of the your path here? Was it stand-up comic first and then restaurants and then
1: yeah, it was restaurants at 14. Wow. So I got a workers' permit and my mom would take me down to the Columbia Mall in Maryland. And I worked at this sub shop called Jerry Subs and Pizza. And I made cheesesteaks and then I was always working afternoons and I would get cut because it would be slow, but I couldn't get home. So I would just be stuck at the mall for like a couple hours. And then I just did restaurants all the way up through college, got my degree, was it, and I got it from the University of Denver, but then I went back east to a country club and I walked into this situation, which I didn't really understand because my first job out of college and I was just kind of getting my butt kicked. And it's exactly what you just said i was talking to a good friend of mine named allison and i was like man i should just be a stand-up comic that would be so much more fun than this meanwhile i had never done any stand-up comedy i was class clown in my high school and i did do like the variety show and the cabaret night there and like plays and stuff but like i'd never done any stand-up and she was like yeah man you're 23 do you don't want to wait till you're 40 when you have a wife and kids and a house in the suburbs, and then regret that when you were 23 with none of that stuff, you didn't try stand up. And she told me that. And it was like idea back ahead, idea front ahead. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm going to go do it. And I found an open mic. I went down and checked it out. They said, come back in two weeks and you can get on. So I wrote some material and then I did stand up for the first time, August 12th, 95. And then meanwhile, on stage, I made everyone laugh. And I thought to myself, this is the greatest night ever. I don't forget. This is so much fun. And uh, and so really that night, I became a professional stand-up comedian because my entire mindset shifted to all I want to do is stand-up. And then I got laid off from that job. And I just did restaurants and stand-up for 10 years straight and did a little entertainment in there too, like booking concerts and stuff like that. And then, and then, and like, oh five i was really broke and tired and like i don't know i was in my mid-30s and i and i had said at the beginning if i can't make as much money in stand-up in a decade as i could have made as a country club manager then i should like you know reassess and i definitely wasn't making any money and i thought well what am i gonna do so i said i will gonna get an mba because then i figured at the time like, i bought into the mba marketing and i was like okay i'll get an mba That'll like cap off this 10 years of stand up and random experience I've had. And, you know, people will just look at my MBA and they won't care that I've been a goofball for 10 years, which did not happen at all. And I had a horrible time getting a job out of MBA school because no one could make, could not, they couldn't figure out my resume, you know? Like, who has a hotel restaurant degree and then like waited tables at Dick's Last Resort, then ran one of the most successful PF Changs in the country, then opened the Grove in Los Angeles, and then went back to stand up. Like, it just was too much for the computer systems and the HR people To are like, who is this person, you know? So I ended up getting a temp job at Quiznos, and it was one of those things where I got a temp job at Quiznos, and then two weeks later, I was the manager of the department. And then I just, that kind of got my career going. And then I ended up building a checklist app at Quiznos to help uh, with the auditing. That's what kind of got me into tech. Then a buddy of mine was like, hey man, I just got recruited by Symantec. He was doing workflow at the time. And he was like, you really liked building that checklist app. And obviously Quiznos is a sinking ship. So why don't you come and backfill me in my current company and learn this workflow program? You enjoyed doing tech stuff. You were good at it. Why don't you try that? So then we ended up buying that company because it was a consulting business and they were going out of business and they wanted out. We were like, well, you can't sell us. We're consultants. So you might as well let us Earn out and buy the company, and that's what we did. And then we had, then all of a sudden, I was a tech company owner. And then, uh, and then we did that for like five years. And then Semantic wasn't really supporting our platform anymore, and SaaS was kind of becoming a thing. And we had built the checklist program that I had built at Quiznos there as a training project, and then we actually got it into some restaurants. So me and one of my partners was like, let's be a SaaS company and let's just build one thing. Because we were doing individual projects, uh, tech projects, like uh, custom workflows, primarily helping with IT and security, tech security management in the Semantic partner channel. And so every six months, we were building a brand new software solution. And as you know, as a project manager, that's hell on earth. And like yeah. it was so hard to do it well. Most of those projects just ended like, uh, we're all happy it's over, I guess. We ended up working over contract for free almost every time because we couldn't get the things done. And um, it just wasn't like, it was really hard. And I think one of the hardest parts was, A, not having strong project managers and having directors or senior managers as the project owners who were looking at this as their opportunity to make their stamp on the company. And they were going to throw every feature and every last minute idea and into it and what what ended up happening was these projects would get so convoluted that like you couldn't even figure out like they just kept tossing like everything in the kitchen sink into these development gigs and you know that just ruins the software and so we would just get to a point where it's like uh, it doesn't even do what you wanted it to do originally or what we signed on to do and like that was the hardest part like by far so I was so excited to get out of doing those consulting projects and move on to one platform that we could just yeah. make great over time, right? Absolutely. Versus trying to create something new from scratch every 6 months.
0: Gosh, there's so many nuggets in that journey. I mean, I I can't tell you how many people have contacted me about uh from from every walk of life in the professional in their professional careers wanting to Pivot, make moves. When you talk through how you got to where you are, it all makes sense. Uh, but I, I know that you brought up that it, 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 the res—just looking at paper resume can be confusing because there's no story behind it. And yeah. there's been so many uh, people who listen to this podcast who are trying to figure out how to really make those leaps yeah. to things that they are interested in, they are passionate about. They want to get into project management, don't have experience in project management. How do they do that? I think there's a lesson here for our audience in terms of how you just told your story and your professional journey. And when you are able to vocalize why you made the decisions to go from restaurateur to, uh, to a tech person. It all yeah. just connects. But again, when you don't have the opportunity to verbalize that, it is, it's the challenge for a lot of people who listen to this podcast that I've been asked the question of is, how do you make sure that that resonates on your resume? And it sounds like in your journey, it, it may may not have been as fruitful of an outcome as you had expected when you presented your resume to the tech oh. industry.
1: Well, yeah. And I mean, honestly, I think if I looked at my resume, I'm unhirable because I don't know that I would get through a computer screening system. <laughs> like I kind of at this point have to yeah. keep going for myself because, or I have to network my way in Yeah, because if you talk to me, you'll go, okay, I get this guy. Like he knows what he's talking about, whatever. But if you just looked at me on face value on paper, it's a little scary. Right. But the other thing is too, is that And I mean, my wife's so risk adverse. She's like a financial planner and she's like, so she's like, boom. And like, she married me and I'm like a psycho. And so she's like, ah, but like so many of these things, I'm like, well, I, I I just look at it as like, well, I'm going to go do it and I will figure it out type of thing. And, um, and I had to make these leaps. Like, you know, we were at that company and we were working there and they're like, we're going to sell you. And I'm like, well, I don't want to work for somebody else. Like I like the gig I have now. And I want to be in control. So then we just presented them with, we're buying you out. We'll yeah. do it. We, like, we figured out that you could do an earn out. And we just said, we're doing this. And that they realized they didn't have a leg to stand on because when you're selling a consulting business, especially the only value you have are your consultants, you know? Yeah. But they yeah. ended up taking that gig, but that, that, I want people to know this too that stuff's available to you. You just got to ask, you know, Mm -hmm. The internet's a wealth of information. So you can figure out how to do anything by reading three blogs. So like, don't ever like, don't think, well, I'm just an employee here and they want to sell the company. That's isn't how it works. You know, you're an employee there. You go tell them, say, hey, I want to buy this thing out and I'll pay you out for five years. And, you know, we'll write a contract and you support me and I'll do this or that. I mean, you can make anything happen, Right. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: love, I love that. I think, I think, um, yes, I think a lot of people have their self doubts when they're trying to, you know, enter into even the project management space. Can I do this? or they're told otherwise they have a facade of what the role is they enter the role and then they realize oh this is not what i thought it was going to be i love your mentality of well you know what i i try it if i don't like it then i then i move on and yeah. and uh, i think it's that's that's a really hard concept to grasp for some people who maybe have been following a path and they they aren't necess- they don't have the support don't know where to get the support to be able yeah. to Um, help them on their career path so I think all of that are, are really good nuggets in terms of what you how you've outlined how you got to where you are but I think we definitely want to focus on the problem you solved and and kind of where you ended up because it does sound like you recognize that there were issues you kind of took it into your own hands and said you know what we've got a better way of how to do this so yeah. let, let's make the leap then into operations management, because personally, I actually have also just entered a operations heavy role that focuses on operations and change management. So I'm so yeah. curious to hear from you about how you look at things from an operations management standpoint, what exactly Ops Analytica is as well, um, and kind of tie those two together for myself and for our audience.
1: Sure so obviously well, and i think we've kind of created the category of operations management right because our platform is really focused on big well it can be used it's it's basically used to capture data from human beings to help them manage and measure their daily workflow right um, and we primarily focus on large multi location businesses right because if you're a large multi-location business like a restaurant chain or you know it could be retail dental offices it doesn't matter you know you have employees that are at those locations and they are operating right and people go what are operations operations are all the things that happen so that we can deliver goods and services to our customers and collect money right that's operations so like you know marketing gets people to remember you exist and if they pushing off or advertising gets people to come in the door, but then operations have to happen so that you can, you know, give the cup of coffee to somebody and collect the money. And that's what we're here trying to focus on because that's like, that's where everything goes bad or really good is in operations. Right. And, and with these mar- these large businesses and pretty much any kind of business, people want three main things. They want to come to a clean and inviting environment, Right. And, and that clean has different connotations when you're talking food or medical, right? They want it to be sanitized and safe as well. But it's clean and inviting. Retail, they want, you know, you ever go to Macy's in December and it looks like it's like a bomb blew up in there. You know, you don't want to go shop there. You want to go shop at anthropology or somewhere nice where everything's folded and you can find stock and everything. So like, you know, it's that kind of thing. Clean and inviting. They want product execution. It doesn't matter what the product is it could be an mri it could be a cup of coffee it doesn't matter i want you to do what i'm paying you to do and i want you to do it right and then they also want speed of service and speed of service varies based off of you know if you're going to a fancy steakhouse then you're expecting a two to three hour dinner if you're going to mcdonald's you're expecting a two-minute drive through experience but we want the appropriate speed of service for the business that we're at. And we all know what that is. If you sit in the doctor's waiting room for two hours, that is not good speed of service, right? So we want those things. That's what every business wants. And then the business needs consistency in that execution so that it it can build its brand across its, its footprint of stores. And those things together generate revenue and they regenerate word of mouth and they generate repeat business so that's what we're trying to help people manage because the issue is the world's insane we got inflation nobody wants to work somehow people don't need to work anymore i don't know what's going on you know gas prices are high political turmoil russia and ukraine all this stuff is out of our control but the general consensus is like you have to ignore all that when you're in a business and you have to focus on how Do I control what I could control and offer as much value as I possibly can so this person's willing to come back, you know? And that's what we're helping these people try to manage. And what that is, is it's all these little details, right? There's just too many details for us all to remember. And so the checklists or the processes help remind people to double check on all the little things they're supposed to do so that we don't break the process and that the person gets what they paid for in a timely manner and they go on their way going, that was a pleasant experience. I will come back.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. And just just from the customer experience, even from the user experience, I think there's uh, by by allowing your even your individual employees to feel like they are being more efficient and consistent in their day-to-day activities from an operations perspective takes the stress away from every day having to hit a wall where you're trying to get around a workflow uh, block that a checklist could potentially solve for or a task on a project plan or or something like that. And uh, the, the more that they hit that same roadblock, the more defeated that they can feel as an employee and without introducing this type of efficiency, whether it's through Ops Analytica or some sort of operations management software, then I'm sh- I can totally see that employee burning out. So you've presented a great use case and a solution for not just the the folks that work for you, but I think for all of the, the people that you've synced up with to introduce the software to their organizations. And so I, I wanted to make sure that I have made the proper connection for our audience who comes from a PM background sure. in terms of how does this apply to me? I mean, in every which way, I think it does. If you're if you're a PM, you're looking at your workflows. If you're a PM, you're looking at your team. You're looking at their capacity. You're looking if they feel exhausted from an operations standpoint, are the yeah. steps in the right order. I mean, there's a lot of things that hit our scope as project managers or program managers. And I think this is all connected, but Tommy, you let me know what you think.
1: Well, no, it totally is. And like, Atul Gawande, uh, which if you haven't read the book or listened to the book, the Checklist Manifesto, uh, I think everybody should get that book. It is just a fascinating. If you're you know if you're commuting or you'd like to listen to Audible, grab that book because he takes you through all kinds of different checklists, the history of checklists. But it's it's truly fascinating. But one of the big quotes he says is that we've reached a point in like uh, this century where it's not that we don't have the capacity. It's that there's just literally, there's just too much going on. And, and so the human brain cannot track all of the details that we need to track. So even like in a project management, when you think about you have a big Gantt chart and you got all your calendars and all your things, Like even having just a little checklist, even if it was just taped to your desk that just said, okay, I have to make sure I check these 10 things every day so I can keep, so I can update all my stakeholders on where we're at, right? Even even in a professional context, it's not just about cleaning a bathroom in a restaurant or checking food taste or making sure everything's done. It can be used in a professional context too, just to help us focus and keep track of all Of those things, because so many of the processes that we're engaged in in project management and everything we do are all or nothing processes. Right. So the example he uses in the book is, well, if I send you out to go to the grocery store to get to make chocolate cupcakes and you get everything but the little paper cups, then it doesn't matter that you got everything else right. We can't have chocolate cupcakes without the paper cups. You might as well have not even gone to the grocery store. The outcome is the same. And that's what we're faced with today is all these all or nothing processes where one person misses one step out of a hundred and the process stops. And so that's where the checklist is the, is the um, checklist and built-in workflows are the way around that, right? Because then you can manage all of those steps and you don't miss one. And that, and you know, how many projects miss a deadline because we did 99% of it right, but one guy, we dropped the ball on one. We didn't get testing or we didn't get change management to approve. We didn't get our change ticket submitted in time. So now we can't execute the code push. You know, those things happen. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't affect anything. And other times millions of dollars is lost because we didn't get revenue done. I'll give you a funny story. My buddy, Mike, worked at Quest, which was a phone company that disappeared, but they were big in the 90s. And his job was, he was the fulfillment guy. And so he did all the paper printing, right? And so he was working in Denver and the rest of his team was in Phoenix. And so they were all together. And so when the layoffs came, they were like, kill the Denver guy, let everyone in Phoenix stay, we're all friends. Well, his job was to get the letter Published to get a rate increase that had to go in the bills this month so they could announce the rate increase for next month. Well, then they fired them and that letter didn't hit those bills. Oh so then they couldn't raise their rates because, and it cost them tens of millions, maybe hundreds, you had know, so much money in lost revenue because that letter didn't get in the bill. And then they called him like, can you help us get that letter in the bill? And he was like, no way you fired me. There's no way I'm helping you. And it took him two months to get that rate increase letter squared away. Oh my! So, like, that's an example of a project management fall, like flub, right? Where the company lost millions of dollars in revenue because they couldn't get a letter put in a bill. Oh, it's just ridiculous.
0: Yeah. And those are really the ones that become core memory for people. You oh, will yeah. never forget that that happened.
1: I'm sure. Well, and, uh, and I did a project of Visa one time, real quick. Sorry. Yeah, and no. Visa, they go on a change management hiatus from like October through December. You cannot push a single IT change unless it's like a unless it's a break fix. We are currently broken. And by the way, only break fix on credit card transacting. An internal app that everybody uses, break fix, they won't let you, they don't let any change management happen during that window, because they make whatever, probably 80% of their revenue in that two month span of time. So like, imagine if you're an IT project manager and you you Biff it, and, and or the team Biffs it and you don't get your project done, it's not getting deployed till next year, right? And it could be costing the company millions of dollars. They simply won't let you do it. Oh, so, like, there are real deadlines in our world that like, if we don't miss these details, For
0: for sure absolutely how uh walk me through how um how you work with some of the people who are interested in using your software uh i know that you went from doing customizations and then when you actually bought out the company and kind of made it your own now is it more of an out of the box approach that you're you're looking at? Okay, got it. And then folks can make their own assessments in terms of what is needed based on their organization.
1: Yeah. So I like to think of, we're very much like an Excel spreadsheet, right? Mm-hmm. Excel can be used to do a Christmas card list, or it can be used to run the finances for a Fortune 500 company. Yeah. We're very much the same. We have a platform. It has like some rules and it has functionality, but you can make it your own. And so when a new client comes on, we do require an implementation package because uh, I had a restaurant manager one time tell me like 90% of these software solutions fail for us because they make us install it and get it together. And we just don't have the time or the expertise to do that. And we biff it. Mm -hmm. So like, and then we ended up becoming shelfware and then it ends up going away. So yeah. we really, from day one, have always been like, hey, we'll, when you come on, we do an implementation, you send me all of your stuff, we get it loaded into the platform, then we train the end user on how to administrate it and use it, so the admins get admin training, the end users just learn how to like go in and do the checklist, and then we give them 90 days roughly of iteration period. Where, Because I want them to iterate. I want their people to say, I don't like it like this. Can we make it like that? And I want to be there conducting that for them to make sure that when I turn it over, it's like you bought a car off the lot. Even mm-hmm. though it's custom It's configured software, you can just drive it off the lot and use it indefinitely and you'll be good to go. And you'll know how to fix it if there, or tweak it, I should say, if you want to make tweaks and changes. For sure. That all That's makes- how we approach it.
0: Absolutely. I can, Entering into this space of operations has been quite a learning experience, even for myself. And as you talk through how you onboard your potential um, clients is, yeah, that yes. <laughs> I think that? often people fail to do that initial assessment or take the time to really think about what the need is and on also the ongoing maintenance. So I think those are all great things to consider as you're trying to, you know, prescribe what is best for your organization as well. And at every point along the way, you know, having somebody who knows the tactical piece, and that's usually your project managers or or um, program managers who will be able to speak to where some of the gaps or the weaknesses are as well. So it, there's absolutely synergy. And, and all that you're you're talking to us about, Tommy, as well as what, project management and program management does for an organization. So I think, you know, to kind of round out this conversation, I'm curious to hear from you about what's next. And I I kind of, I put that kind of in a general sense because I, I did originally want to ask you about what's next in the innovation or the evolution of Ops Analytica, but now knowing your personal and professional journey, what is next? I'm just going to ask that to you in general and you can answer it in any which way you want.
1: Sure. I think, uh, uh, professionally, you know, we have, we're a bootstrap startup. We used our own cash. We worked for no money for literally years trying to get this thing started. And now we're really cranking and it's been like seven and a half years. We're going on our eighth year. So professionally. Right now, it's like just get as many salespeople in and as many developers and just keep building and growing and growing. And we're starting to moving into different verticals. So we were restaurants for everywhere, but now we're in automotive. We're going into dental, grocery, C-store, medical, recycling. So, you know, all of these industries have people that have to file procedures. Anywhere there's any kind of government compliance, that's a place I thrive in. So uh, I'm looking to do that. Technologically, man, I, I'm, I'm releasing IoT, um, so sensors, mm-hmm. but then I'm, I'm starting to dip my toe into AI and predictive analytics and really being able to, people, um, oper- as you'll see, as you now end in the operations world, people like discount how important operations are because they're hard and they're repetitive and they're not sexy marketing, sexy (laughs) technology, sexy. Well, guess what? That's all great. But like you can market the heck out of something you can bring a million people in, but if we fail in operations, they'll never come back. Mm -hmm. So like operations is the backbone of the business. And and I do truly believe too, that operations is on a is about to have its technological uh, revolution Similar to what we got when we got like online sales, app ordering, delivery, all those kind of other channels from a sales perspective.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: For the first time ever, we can track human activity just like we've tracked tech, like a, a robotic arm that we can count 10 million times. I can now do something similar with people. I can track what they're doing and how they're working. And you have this world where we have robots coming. We've got sensors. We've got human beings. We've got the internet. We've got POS. All this stuff needs somebody to bring it together because they're all siloed. So that's kind of where I want to be. I want to be that guy that can look at a tweet that said your bathroom is dirty and take that in real time and then tell someone at the store to go look at the bathroom. Mm-hmm. I want to I bridge that gap Amazing. across these systems. So that's kind of where I'm trying to get us is the hub system to bring all these other guys together.
0: I... I, I don't, you can't feel my heart beating as you're speaking, but I just, just having met you, I already feel that you're going to figure that out. Oh, I I, I truly believe that. And so I'm, I'm just excited to now have you as a connection, have our audience know who you are and, Sweet. and kind of see what the next evolution of what Tommy Yanolis, as well as what you do with your, your current company, what, what happens with that? I'm, I'm just kind of looking to see where there's synergy and and I'm looking forward to seeing what you do next so um Tommy thank you so much for sharing your journey sharing thank your experiences you. sharing your knowledge with our audience it's been a pleasure this interview has flown by but I think we are just about at time and I definitely know that you and I are are taking time out of our our day-to-day to, to connect and have this conversation so again we are very appreciative of your time um that you've taken to uh share your experiences with us on the everyday PM podcast. So, uh, that will do it for you and I on this installment. If folks want to follow you or have further conversations about any and all of what you do, uh, where's the best place to find you, Tommy?
1: If they can hit me up on LinkedIn, I will accept their invites or they can email me at Tommy at opsanalytica.com, or they can go to our website and just chat in. Here's the deal guys. I'm my part of my new job is to figure out new use cases and new verticals and i just want to have conversations with people to learn what you're going through and if i can help you i would love to but more i just want to learn what you're dealing with because i will get inspired and get an idea from that and i might be able to help make it might turn my platform it might make me you know whatever so i would love to meet you and talk to you guys
0: so that offer's on the table, right? Because you see, yes. if you're watching that this video right now, you see me raising my hand as well to offer up some use cases too. It's definitely Absolutely. a new space. And I think there's a lot we can all learn from you, um, whether PM, operations, whatever role that you're currently sitting in. So thank you, Tommy, for making that offer. And I hope that you get some good engagement from the audience. Um, folks, for those of you who are listening for the first time, you can find the Everyday PM Podcast on any of the podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google P- Podcasts, you name it. Spotify as well. While you're there, make sure to give us a good review, leave some comments on what you thought about this episode, say hello to Tommy. Um, you can also see the video version of this on my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Campia. While you're there, you can click subscribe, comment as well, uh, leave us a like, and then click the bell for notifications when new content goes up. All right. <laughs> Tommy, thanks again for joining us on this installment of the Everyday PM. Thanks to our audience for listening. Until next time. Take care.